Suffering, it's your boy Marty here to introduce this rip of TFTC. I sat down with Sam Abbasi, founder and CEO of Hoseki. Incredible conversation. Incredible Bitcoiner. Incredible time to be alive, freaks. And if you're looking to take care of your Bitcoin, our friends down the hall at Unchained Capital are here to provide you with the services that eliminate single points of failure in your custody model. They have a two or three multi-sig volt, which allows you to hold two keys in the two or three multi-sig quorum. Unchained holds the third. You can always control and move your Bitcoin as you see fit, as long as you have those two keys. If you're ever in a pinch, you need Unchained to be the second in the two or three multi-sig quorum. They are there for you. They have a white glove concierge service that's going to get you comfortable with this, walk you through the process, explain everything to you, get you hardware wallets, help you get them set up, geographically disperse them, all that jazz. They also have a trading desk, which is going to allow you to buy Bitcoin and send it directly into that two or three multi-seat cold storage vault. It's a beautiful thing. If you're a business, an individual, high net worth individual, a fund looking to custody your assets, make sure you do it the right way. A lot of people learned that there's a wrong way to do that this in the last couple months. Don't get FTXed. Go hit up our friends at Unchained, unchained.com. I'm burping, I'm sorry. In the burping. Remember Bob Durst? That weirdo who's burping. We don't have to get into that. But we can get into brains. I just burped and then I thought about burping with my brain. If you're using your brain as a miner, <laughs> you're going to be using brains. Brains OS Plus auto-tuning firmware specifically. What this firmware does is it finds the higher hashing chips on a hashing board and focuses the electricity there. So you produce more hashes and therefore you produce more sats with your ASIC. It's also going to make your ASIC more efficient and elongate the life cycle of your ASIC. So you're going to get more bang for your buck, more hashes for your sats. I like that. I like that. We're going to run with that one. Go to brains.com, B-R-A-I-I-N-S.com. Check out their Brains OS Plus auto-tuning firmware. See if your ASIC is compatible with it. If it is, download it, especially right now. You don't want to be leaving sats on the table with hash price hovering around six cents. Makes you look like an idiot. Brains is going to help you grow your know and not look like an idiot because you're going to stack more sats. Go to brains.com. B-R-A-I-I-N-S.com. This group was also brought to you by our good friends at Hoddle Hoddle. Hoddle Hoddle is here to bring you a peer-to-peer lending platform. No KYC, no AML leverages Bitcoin's native multi-sig properties and has lower rates than most of the people, most of the other lending platforms on the market right now. The way it works is you put Bitcoin up as collateral in a two or three multi-sig escrow wallet. You hold one key. Your counterparty, the lender, holds one key and HODL HODL holds the third key. Since you have one key in that two or three multi-sig quorum, you have visibility into your collateral escrow account throughout the duration of the loan and that if you're paying that loan back plus the interest associated with it, you're going to get your sats back at the end of the day. You can have certainty. You can do it the right way. You don't just give your Bitcoin to BlockFi. You let them lend it out. You don't know where it is. Then boom, somebody loses it. It doesn't happen with HODL. It's impossible. Peer-to-peer, no KYC, no AML, multi-sig, lower rates. Go to lend.hodlhodl.com. Last but not least, this rip was brought to you by our good friends at CrowdHealth. CrowdHealth is here to help you reimagine how you take care of your healthcare cost. What you do is you become a CrowdHealth member. You pay a monthly fee. 
to a dedicated bank account. It's not health insurance. They're coming to disrupt health insurance, the black box, opaque nature of health insurance, the bad incentives of the health insurance industry. They're not incentivized to lower cost for you. Crowd Health is. You pay your monthly fee into this dedicated bank account that you control and can take whenever you want. If you ever have a medical event, you need to go to the doctor, you need to pay a bill, tell Crowd Health, hey, I'm going to the doctor. You bring back the bill. If it's larger than $500, you pay the first $500, and then that bill gets crowdfunded by other members in the Crowd Health community. They're only healthy people. There's some, um, there's some criteria to get into the Crowd Health community. You have to be relatively healthy, so that lowers the healthcare costs for all Crowd Health community members overall. Um, certain BMI, certain age range. So you're, you're entering a very strong community. You're going to lower your healthcare costs significantly cheaper than uh, typical health insurance. And then they're adding a Bitcoin component to it too. If you join the Bitcoin community after uh, a certain amount of months of paying your, your fiat monthly fee into the bank account, uh, they will start putting a portion of your monthly fee into the bank account and another portion into Bitcoin that you could stack alongside your bank account as it grows. So you can speculatively, speculatively attack your future healthcare cost. If you go to joincrowdhealth.com slash TFTC, use the code TFTC at checkout, you're going to get $99 a month for the first six months. It is December 2nd. It's the last month of rolling enrollment. If you're looking to make a change, lower your healthcare costs, Crowd Health is a great way to do that. Join crowdhealth.com slash TFTC. Enjoy this Riff Freaks. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. Probably should be. Probably should be. 90 minutes on a Friday afternoon, that's all we need. Great way to end the week. It is a great way to end the week. For me, at least. I guess you would have ended it this way anyway. <laughs> Yeah, the recordings vary from time to time. I like a nice Friday hmm. afternoon rip in Barichar on Thursdays, typically. Um, Logan, you're just Logan's. Logan's back there trying to make this a one-person podcast. There we go. But that's no, good. Friday afternoon, you get to reflect on the week. Vibes are higher. We're heading into the weekend. We've got a lot to talk about. I'm joined by Sam Abbasi, founder of Hoseki. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, of course. It's a long time coming. Yeah, I get, yeah. You've invited me for, I think the invite's been open for probably a year. A year? Yeah. So let me know when you're ready. Or not when you're ready. When the invite's open, I'd love to have you on. Just when... When you feel like the time is right, let's do it. The time is right. We're here. Yeah. It's just a balance between building, putting your, you know, being heads down and building and then also doing the advocacy. You know, it's like a multi-man show is CEO. Yeah. Well, you're a great CEO, great app advocate. Uh, I shilled 
your presentation in Riga on RHR last week. It was a fantastic presentation. Thanks, man. Got me all inspired. Yeah. Super nervous about that one too. Why are you nervous? You're good at what you do. Yeah. But you know, it's like a fighter going into a ring. You should be a little bit nervous before. That's true. It's usually how I feel. Yeah. Vomit a little bit, you know, shake all the nerves out. Knees weak, arms, palms are sweaty. <laughs> Spaghetti everywhere. I forget the line. <laughs> uh, no, I think it's because having gotten to know you a bit more particularly over the last year, I mean, we followed each other on Twitter for, for many years. What we meet until last year, but you're very ideologically driven. And it seems like you have found a purpose in life and are, and are going after it. It's good. That communicates. That's that, that, that is how I feel. I just never know how that conveys across to people and it comes across sweet. It's good. What's, what's driving that purpose? Insanity. <laughs> <laughs> it probably applies to all of us. Um, yeah, drunk insanity. <laughs> <laughs> so you've, uh, before we dive into Hoseki, why you started it, what it is, how it can help people. I mean, you've been in the space for a while now, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's been five years now. Which is like uh, two decades in Bitcoin time. Yeah. <laughs> Just about, about a half century. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm particularly enthralled by your journey because you've been on a journey. Yeah. And you're worried to talk. Don't be worried to talk about this. You weren't Bitcoin first. No, no, I wasn't. Um, I, I kind of feel proud about that in certain, certain way. I, I just think a lot of people learn about Bitcoin as a function of like losing their money. Mm -hmm. I did it as a function of losing my time, mm -hmm. which in my opinion is a lot worse. Um, and my conviction is just incredibly strong as a result. Yeah. What, what were you losing your time on? On bullshit projects. Um, although, you know, it, it informs me and made me who I am today. So I guess it wasn't, it, it was objectively bullshit, but it wasn't bullshit as it relates to my life. Um, yeah, just a bunch of crypto projects in the last bull run. Um, didn't have any idea what the space was. I had no real experience with any of these things or finance generally. Like I don't come from TradFi. I'm, I'm still pretty financially illiterate. So the idea of investing in, um, and you know, putting your money to work and doing these things was like pretty foreign to me. And crypto, the crypto world was, was like the, my, my, my first sort of, uh, first first window into and into how these things work or how these things can work how did you how did the how did you come to the window or how did the window come to you i was doing a phd program in neuroscience and i'm incredibly impatient the turnaround time for the stuff that i was doing is like 10 years <laughs> so what were you doing it was research in traumatic brain injury oh that's actually Pretty relevant to me. I've had six pretty terrible <laughs> concussions. Have you? I don't mean to laugh. No, it's a, I can laugh about it now. Yeah. It's been it's been over a decade since my last one. So yeah. Well, you've healed beautifully. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I don't know about my my brain, but uh, definitely externally, it's doing okay. Um, it was basic science research. So, at um, it's like the software development of the science world. You're at the lowest level. 
you're at the building blocks. So uh, a lot of pipetting. Um, we were looking at patients that had like motorcycle accidents, elderly patients who had fallen. Um, what we would largely do is, <laughs> is uh, induce traumatic brain injury into rats. So we just would like, like, you know, almost kill them. But we'd kill them eventually. Um, I wasn't doing the killing, but we'd take the blood samples and then evaluate it that way. Damn. Yeah, I've seen a lot of dead rats. Science. Is this what the science entails? Yeah, there's costs. There's <laughs> real costs. <laughs> what, uh, did you guys find anything, in, like, any breakthroughs in that research? Yeah, it was, um, uh, so the thing we were looking at specifically was the fact that a lot of the patients that come into the ER with a traumatic brain injury end up dying from pulmonary complications within a 24 hour period, not from the brain injury itself. So was it the nervous system just fucking up? No, it was, ability. um, it was these inflammatory proteins in the brain. Mm-hmm. So like when you know, when you hit your arm or anything else, it inflames, um, over a period of time though, that inflammation can actually destroy the tissue. Same thing's happening with your brain. It, when you hit your brain, it, you know, it swells up. And these inflammatory proteins end up traveling into your lungs. Your lungs can't deal with can't can't deal with it though, um, so they end up collapsing and you die from pulmonary complications. Holy shit! Yeah, I'm happy that never happened to me. After my last concussion, it was a freshman in college, and it happened like right before the end of the year. It's so going into sophomore year. I had some science electives I had to take, and I decided to take a biology of the brain class to better understand how it was fucking up my head and became enthralled by the concept of like neurotransmitters, synapses and the cannabinoid system that works within your brain and how you can try to like revamp neurotransmitters and synapses. I mean, even with all of that, we, we don't, uh, we don't know how the brain works still, yeah. which is my big finding was like, we have done a lot of research. We do know a lot about how, like how mechanically things are done, but no one knows how consciousness works at all do you have an idea no <laughs> <laughs> no no it's uh yeah it's just it's 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 still a mystery yeah yeah the brain is it the most mysterious it's not an organism it's a muscle i think it's an organ organ yeah organ yeah it's, yeah it's an organ you would know better than i do well, you would you would think that but <laughs> <laughs> no it is crazy I had this discussion earlier this week, like trying to compare, because there is that thing. Obviously, animals have brains as well. There's something about humans that's different that we have this ability to cooperate better than most animals, and we have free will, intuition, thought, ingenuity. Yeah. What What is that? We have abstract thought as well. Um, I mean, there's a class of people that are called. Well, there's a, there's a school of thought, I guess, called neurophilosophy, which kind of goes into these things, but it's not technical. It, it, it's, it's very philosophical. They just sort of talk about, um, sort of, they just still talk about the brain in abstract. I wanted to mechanically see how a thought gets developed and it's just not possible. You, you can, you can map things at like the image level. So you can take an image of the brain and you can map different patterns of what's happening based on like whatever stimuli, but um, I can't find a neural pathway that gets a thought across um, or that 
can imagine something or see something that I, I can't mechanically find that path. Yeah. You can't see like a path within the brain and then project that, Oh, this is what produced this, this thought. Right. It's probably not always the same. No. And it's probably a collection of them too. Um, so yeah, we're, we're, we're still just so far away from it. Yeah. I'm actually partial to the stone ape theory. Which one's that? The theory that tens of thousands of years ago when the world was like one big tropical rainforest and starting to get a bit cooler and the forest started to recede and bovine creatures became more common. They left the jungle and started shitting uh, in the prairie lands that were developing and mushrooms came out of their shit and then the monkeys came down from the trees and started getting high on the shrooms and and that's how our brain developed yeah wow that's a, that's a theory out there i think i don't know if it was alan watts or terence mckenna that had had that theory that sounds wrong but I, <laughs> <laughs> but i love it <laughs> i want it to be true <laughs> was, yeah it's uh well having done shrooms psilocybin in a past life right does make you know, it makes you perceive the world completely different. like it's like holy shit i can't believe you could well i mean psychedelics now are being used in uh therapy in therapy and ketamine is the thing that's leading the way yeah yeah people are, are yeah going to therapists and they're getting k-dosed sent down sent down a dark path it's also got to be such a traumatic way to do psychedelics you're in a like a you know fluorescent bleached you know lab i hope not I hope you're, I, I, I'm, I'm imagining like a your stereotypical ther, therapist office where you're down, you're on the, you're on the long couch, you're laying down with your, your hands on your chest. Yeah. You just have somebody walking, walking you through your problems. I guess that's true today. That doesn't apply to the people back in the fifties or no, whenever the CIA was doing. When we're talking about MK ultra. They were getting strapped down and highly dosed with LSD. God. I don't think MK ultra ever stopped. Mm. We're not here to talk about MK Ultra. That's for another conversation. <laughs> we got sidetracked. Was we were a, too impatient. It was a good sidetrack. It was too impatient with the too impatient. So the stuff that I was building, um, or the stuff that I was researching, rather, uh, it, like the output is, is drug development. Um, that usually before COVID, that usually takes a long time. <laughs> um, and uh, so I'm I'm super impatient. Um, and I was just thinking about making a career change. Um, I studied economics in college and, um, I loved economics, but again, I couldn't, I was trying to find like what I wanted to do. Um, and so anyway, I, I had done some coding on my own. Uh, I went to a boot camp to learn how to build software with people though. Like I had done like, you know, just basic Python development and some R cause I was doing some stats as well as part of the research. Um, so I went to the boot camp. I learned about project management, like MVP development, stuff like that. And um, afterwards, job market wasn't that great. Um, I don't know if I couldn't find a job or if the job market wasn't that great, but ultimately um, couldn't get like a good job with the company that I wanted to work with. And so we ended up making a contractor company. So um, contract based like software development, uh, basic apps. Usually it was for, 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 for companies that were raising money and didn't have a CTO wouldn't have like a tech team or they weren't technical, but they needed a product. So we'd build an MVP for them. They'd prove their concept. 
um, and then and then go on. But this was at the end of 2017. I should probably add this is this was this was also in Miami. <laughs> it's going to be important for later. Um, that's where I'm from. So it was the end of the cycle, or I guess nearing the top of the cycle, and we were just getting a lot of crypto projects. Again, I, you know, I'm I'm, I'm a guy who just learned like coding, at least like project management, team based uh, development. Um, and then we have a lot of demand from clients who want to build out like ETH ICOs and ETH wallets and like, like forking Bitcoin. So I learned about Bitcoin and I get orange pilled as a result of working on these like pretty terrible projects, seeing not only how poorly the, 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 the uh, technicals are and how poorly things are built, but also seeing how degenerate the culture is. And again, I'm not someone who comes from finance, uh, the idea of easy money was foreign to me. So when you're doing these like really primitive DeFi things back then, or when you're pre-mining coins and, and launching these projects, you know, I'm like, you're seeing firsthand when you're being dragged into backroom dealings to, you know, drop in a third UTXO set and stuff like this. I mean, I saw it firsthand, which was incredibly helpful. Um, How degenerate is it? I mean, I think we all know now it's pretty awful. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just knew this before. Uh, yeah. what, was, what was like the first instance where you're like, holy shit, this is. I don't want to get into like specifics or details, yeah. but I mean, I will say going to Ethereum conferences um, and then going to a proper Bitcoin conference was like, uh, it, 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 it was like taking the red pull in the matrix. It was, it was like, um, cause like, I could tell something was there. Like I, I, I got into Bitcoin through Ethereum. Someone is selling me on this idea of smart contracts. Don't know anything about the space. Don't know anything about the history. Like that sounds like there's something there. But when I went to the conferences and I spoke to people, they just cared about like partying. They just cared about this like psychedelic infused, uh, like burning man culture, which didn't really compute with this idea of revolutionizing the world through what I understood then to be like finance. But really, it was like revolutionizing the world through this thing. But the people that were saying they're going to revolutionize the world are not the people that I thought would be the ones to actually conduct a revolution or, you know. And they're probably not the ones who are going to. They're not. They're not. And so when I went to, I went to building on Bitcoin in Lisbon in 2018, and that was like mind-blowing. I met a lot of the OGs. I met some, I met the guys, I met the people that are still in the space today that are building legitimate projects. Um and that's when I real that that's when I got orange filled and realized, okay, this is probably what I should be spending my time on. What was it about building on Bitcoin? Just the technical focus? Yeah, it was very technical. There just wasn't bullshit. Um this was after the block size wars. So they had some remember they had some B cash toilet paper. <laughs> which was really funny. That was the most like sort of deviant thing that was happening, but it wasn't literally colorful like the Ethereum conferences are. There's like unicorns and like rainbows everywhere. This was rather serious. Like people were just having conversations about privacy. Um, there were, we talk, we're talking about um, like block filters then. Um, people were talking about, uh, I think Dandelion was proposed at that conference as well. Um, but anyway, it was, it was just very like serious technical topics uh, by people who seemed very serious in what seemed like a serious environment, which wasn't the case in, Ethe in Ethereum. I mean, you, there, there, there's some serious people at, at ETH conferences and they talk, I mean, the Tornado Cash people is an example. 
you know, like they're from that community. But overall, it was just very different. Um, it was, it seemed fiat for a lack of better words. It's a very apt description. It's very fiat. Yeah. Scenerage. We're going to get a quick buck. We're going to spin this up. Tokenomics. <sighs> Utility tokens. Utility tokens. Yeah. MP, what was it? MQ equals, um, what was that? MV equals PQ. The money velocity equals the... Oh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. The, uh, something times the quantity. Price. Price times the quantity. Yeah, 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 that's what it was. There's a lot of people pushing that metric in 2017. It's math. MV equals PQ. Where are you looking at, by the way? Here or there? Um, I'm looking at here. Okay. I, I try. I should... No, no, no. I, I, I don't know. I should be looking up there, but... It's just hard. We, need to, we might need to rework the... The out, uh, the outlay of this this studio. Oh no, it's perfect. I was telling you, it's amazing now compared to what it was before. Yeah, it's uh, we've come a long way, and so have you. So you go to Lisbon. Yeah, it's sufficiently orange pilled. Mm-hmm. And what the start hap- of it? What happens after that? Well, I still got a company to run, so I come back and I'm trying to like make sense of what we're doing, um, whether it's like worth doing this, like how to, how to scale the company. I mean, this was really like a, like a, like a learning experience for us. Um, it was my first company, um, first time doing actual software development. So it was just a lot of learning. Um, so, I mean, the company was really meant to scale bear market happens or the bear market can, can continues rather we close up shop in 2019. And then I'm looking for a job. So I know, I know I want to stay in the space. A lot of people leave. This is, you know, beginning to mid 2019. So like the depths of like what was crypto winter then a lot of people left. Um, but I had the conviction. I was like, this is real. This is, this is, if there's anything that I should dedicate my life to, like, I'm not going to go be an accountant. Like I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to work on this thing in some capacity. Um, and so, uh, but I couldn't find like a good Bitcoin job. Honestly, I couldn't find a good Bitcoin job that matched my skills. Again, like there weren't that many at that time. It's not, it's not like today. 1031 didn't exist. Um, there weren't that many companies. So, uh, I, uh, I go to work at Algorand. (laughs) Oh yeah. I had this last, so, I mean, it was, it was practical in the sense that like, I couldn't find my ideal job. Still wanted to stay in the space. Um, I'm pretty sure most things that aren't Bitcoin are shit at this point. Like I've like worked on them. So I'm pretty confident that it's all bullshit, but this company raised from, I didn't know anything about the VC landscape. They raised money from like what seemed like good VCs. Uh, they had um, like MIT professors, most of the engineering team was from MIT. So I forgot what it's called, but I defer to like authority. Credentialism? I guess. I thought, well, you know, like this is my last attempt. <laughs> if this is also shit, then it's all shit. And Bitcoin is literally the only thing we're working on. Um, the people there were, I mean, look, like, the, like the people themselves individually never are usually never bad. It's 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 when the incentives are misaligned and there's groups of them together doing really bad things. So the so the people there were, were good. I have nothing against the people there, but it was stuff like you know the protocol was changing on a monthly basis. There was a lot of fud against Bitcoin and its energy consumption and proof of work being wasteful. So just stuff I fundamentally disagreed with. Um, I did tell everyone that I like, you know, it, it's weird to say I believe in proof of work. It was like, you know, I think this is functional because it is functional. I don't think proof of stake is that functional. So, so, so they knew all this before I went in, but again, like, 
Um, I, th- I think I'm someone who has to like experience things in order to learn them. I can't just learn from secondhand information. I'm very similar. So I really had to see it and it checked out like all the things that I was told, all the suspicions I had for the most part um, played out again, like, you know, like the employees there, like the engineers, they're good people. Uh, but the project just wasn't, wasn't, it wasn't for me. Um, I moved to Boston at this time and a job opened up at Fidelity. I met a lot of these people before I met like Alex Thorne and Amanda Fabiano um, and a few other folks at the MIT, uh, MIT crypto conference. Mm-hmm. I forgot which one it was, but I met some of those folks there and I just thought they were brilliant. And I ha- was someone who worked on random crypto projects previously. I had an econ degree from the school in Chicago and, um, but I, I, I needed something to like sort of be that legitimizing factor and fidelity it was and is like one of the most forward thinking companies on Wall Street when it comes to Bitcoin. And so I thought, well, this is the perfect place for me to go work and, and for me to like learn from real smart people from traditional finance I have no experience in. So um, a job opened up at Fidelity and I, I jumped um, and I went to work there. Hell yeah. What uh, what did you do for them? It was mainly open source self-custody solutions. Uh, we, were doing, um, we were doing Bitcoin covenants then working off Bob McElrath's work. Mm-hmm. So they have, like most companies, they have like their own corporate incubator. And so I worked in that incubator, uh, building out different projects that could either become uh, their own like product lines or could be fit into an existing, uh, what's called a business units, um, existing product lines. Um, so that was amazing. That was like, you know, we're, we're, we're in this laboratory. Again, I love doing research. So we're in this laboratory, just like researching cutting edge stuff and trying to see if it works. Um, so mainly, mainly open source Bitcoin custody solutions. And then I did some work on proof of reserves as well. There was some lightning that was sprinkled in as well. Um, I think most of it's confidential, so I can't technically talk about it, but the proof, but the open source custody stuff was all, yeah, it was open source. Yeah. yeah. And so you got drawn to this concept of, of proof of reserves, it seems. Yeah. So um, the D- Chamber of Digital Commerce uh, was organizing a paper with KPMG, Deloitte, um, and a few other fo- uh, folks. Uh, Nick Carter was included and um, missing one name. But anyway, it was a bunch of people that were passionate about proof of reserves. And so uh, they needed someone to write the tech spec for it though, um, because they were all uh, either accountants or auditors, um, but nobody was actually like like, technical. So I wrote the tech spec for it. Um, The paper is is supposed to be like an artifact that regulators can look at when they decide to get um, educated on the topic. It's a full taxonomy on what proof of reserves is, uh, as well as an implementation guide um, on how exchanges can actually become compliant if they, if they do decide to, to, uh, to conduct a proof of reserves. Yeah. What is, what are the details of this taxonomy? It's like accounting, dude. It's like technical accounting detail stuff. It's, it's, it's brutal. Um, I, don't, I don't remember exactly all the details, but it, it's more of like traditional accounting speak mm-hmm. and how these things would apply to an auditor uh, if they want to understand this from their own mental framework. Um, so it's about like 48, maybe 50 pages. So, And I, I imagine there's stark differences between what these auditors are typically used to in terms of recording information, auditing, attesting, compared to how they would interact with this type of audit in yeah. a Bitcoin world. Yeah, I mean, with a lot of stuff in the space, like it, people try and retrofit it into their existing you know, functional models of how things work in the legacy space. Sometimes it works, sometimes I think most of the time it doesn't work. And that's the thing that 
like Andreas has talked about before, this concept of like infrastructure inversion that I'm really passionate about, where it's that the, uh, if I can get this correct, it's like the new tech needs to ride on the rails of the old tech, um, and then there's a flip. And having the new tech ride on the rails of the old tech is very um, inefficient, very mechanical, and it's, it's a very bad experience. But having the old tech ride on the new tech is trivial. So the example that he provides are cars and horses. Um, when cars were first developed, there was no infrastructure for cars. Roads weren't paved, no traffic lights, no gas stations. It just was a hot, very hostile world for a car. Um, you know, you've got these like potholes and stuff, but like horses have limbs so they can go in and out of it. A car, a car can't. Uh, and so, and they had these things called red flag laws. I don't know if you know about mm -hmm. this. Yeah. So, you know, you had to have like an engineer in the car with you. If you wanted to operate, uh, if you wanted to operate a car, you had to have like two people with red flags, one in front, one behind the car, letting people know a car is coming. And, um, but having a horse ride on infrastructure for cars is trivial. Having a horse ride on paved roads isn't a big deal at all. Still happening today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. we got to go after those people. Um, and uh, yeah, so same thing with like telecom and uh, the internet, having internet lines on telecom with dial up was very inefficient. The reverse is very trivial. And then he makes a comparison with Bitcoin and banking. Uh, fitting Bitcoin into banking rails sucks. Um, it's really difficult to do. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a friendly world for Bitcoin. Um, but doing the reverse is trivial. You can make a Bitcoin transaction, take three to five days if you wanted to. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I, I, I I think that's an important sort of concept in the space. And we see that happening again and again, including the audit world. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're going through the early stages of the order of operations that gets us to a Bitcoin standard. And the early stages include this weird interaction with the incumbent financial system. Yeah. Well, people wise up and discover that this open source peer to peer digital cash system is far superior. Yeah. I mean, that's why I see us like fundamentally as uh, these digital third world citizens. Um, that's how I view Bitcoiners in general uh, and, and maybe just people in, in tech more broadly. But we have, you know, using Bitcoin today still sucks. Like it's, it's, it's it is a pain to use. Um, we're fine with that because we love the thing. And we want to use the thing. Um, but it's like doing things in the third world today. Like it sucks. It's not easy. What? aspects of using Bitcoin suck the most in your opinion? Um, doing anything but selling it. <laughs> you think it's that hard to send and receive a transaction? Um, I think it could be better. It certainly could be better. Like, you know, it's not a big deal again for us because we know what's happening, but it could be a lot better. That, that's not anyone's fault either. It's simply where we are in terms of like, the, the order of operation. Maturation, yeah, exactly. Got to build this shit out. Yeah. Got to build the roads. Traffic lights. Got to pave the roads. Pave those fucking roads. Yeah. Gas stations. Gas stations. Better UX. It's funny because we have very similar trajectories to Bitcoin. I mean, I came a bit earlier, but I studied economics in college. I went and did a front-end digital design boot camp. Well, and you did your economics in, in Chicago in as well. In Chicago as yeah. well, yeah. Chicago. I mean, I didn't go to the University of Chicago, so I didn't learn like Friedman Chicago School of Economics. I got Keynesianism stuffed down my throat at DePaul University, but I survived. Um, and yeah, like, like so I actually, 
that's what like I, uh, after that boot camp that I did, like I really wanted to get into Bitcoin too, like bring like a product mindset to it. But it wasn't until I started writing and talking about it that I like quote unquote broke into the industry. Um, yeah, because there was nothing there. There was no infrastructure. There was no. Did you did you um had you been writing before or did you get into writing through Bitcoin? Um, I had to write a lot in high school and college, and I was always an avid journal keeper. Um, now the only thing I wrote, like that I posted online before the bent was a couple of articles about my experience working at a hot dog stand on the shore. Um, <laughs> but no, that was like one thing, like, I, was, I guess this plays into the story. I was, tr I wanted to be a product manager. Like I thought I worked at a hedge fund, did this boot camp. out of the boot camp, I worked for a company selling Soft, offshore software development out of Ecuador in Colombia. And so I was the, the US facing biz dev guy um, trying to find jobs for this offshore development shop. But that job, I took that job being like, all right, I learned about front end at this boot camp and how that works. Like, I want to learn more about like back end development and this job will like force me to learn about it. And then on top of that, I got to brush up on my Spanish because um, everybody was working with was in Quito and Cartagena and um, I had to get them better conversational English and I also had them help me get better at Spanish. Did you have to travel down there or was it all remote? No, I never went down there. It was all remote. I was in New York. Um, but yeah, I took that, like I had the mindset, I had like a five-year plan. I'll take this boot camp, I'll take this job, learn more about back-end development. And in my mind, I was like, oh, I'll have a, a good understanding of how you can build apps and um, websites, whatever it may be. And then I can become a product manager, which seems to be like a good high paying job, fun, get your hands on everything. Um, and then I stupidly quit that job thinking, because I wound up, it just became too laborious. Um, and I was thinking, yeah, like I have, I have the knowledge, I have the skills now, I'm gonna go become a product manager and quickly found out that if you've never actually managed a product, you're not going to get a product managing job. And so I went, I was unemployed for like a year and a half. I was going to interview after interview, trying to get these jobs. And then finally, I forget who it was, but I finally asked him, I was like, all right, what the hell do I need to do to like, like break into this? And I forget who it was again, but the advice they gave me is like, all right, like if you've never built anything, like you should write to prove hmm that you actually understand how these things work. Um, so that's when the bend started. I was like, I know how Bitcoin works. It was June, 2017. We're ripping up to 2000 on our way to 17. Everybody knew I was the Bitcoin guy and the family and friends group. And they're like, what the hell's going on? I was like, oh, I saw this newsletter and write about how Bitcoin works and teach you how Bitcoin works via this, this medium. And, uh, and then, yeah, I never became a project manager, but it <laughs> <laughs> seems like things worked out. <laughs> I ended up here. Yeah. That's wild. And so were the first post about, yeah, just like literally had a what store or transaction? It was, uh, it was, so it would just take like topics in the news. So it was when the fork wars were going on. So okay. the, when it first started, I was really describing Bitcoin as a distributed system, the concept of hard forks, um, what it meant, and then the social aspects around what would happen if you did hard fork? That's a hard thing to explain. Yeah, that's that's still a hard thing to explain. Yeah, and then the ICO booms were going on. And right. I was writing a lot about 
how like tokenomics doesn't make any sense and this is all just a big money grab then yeah, i would talk about privacy what a utxo is what a node is um all that stuff yeah 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 huh yeah well coding's cool <laughs> uh it's good that you didn't get the pm job because you wouldn't be here probably but um yeah coding's cool i i I, I, I fell in love with coding when I realized that it's the, the equivalent of like organic chemistry. Um, I love chemistry. Um, so I, I, I had to, so a, after college I had to take some biomedical courses in order to do the neuroscience stuff. So I went back and took all these science courses and I fell in love with chemistry. And uh, yeah, coding is the building blocks. It's the same thing. Like you can't get, you can't break it down any further. You can go to binary, but um, outside of that, like, you know, you have a little bit of abstraction on top of the machine, but it's the fundamental building blocks of, of everything. Um, and I was just, yeah, I was blown away. It was like, it was, you know, it was, it's, it's its own rabbit hole, I guess. Yeah. Are coders about to lose their jobs with all this AI shit? The, uh, what, what's, what's this new one called? That's amazing. Uh, GBT4, I think it's from OpenAI. Is that, are you talking about like the prompts? Um, whatever I'm seeing on Twitter today yeah. and yesterday. Yeah, it's OpenAI's. Okay. People are speculating that it's the next iteration of GPT. Yeah. So it's not three anymore. It's four. Okay. I, ha I haven't used it, but it, it seems like, you know, black mirror-ishly crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about it actually on the ride over here. This morning I was driving. It was just in my own head. I was like, this feels like a her moment. Hmm. It feels like the beginning of the movie her. Yeah. Like the, these things can't talk to us audibly yet. But like the the conversational stuff that's happening in text is, we're just one iteration away from adding voice onto that, where you can just like, you can just fucking put something in your ear and ask it questions, and they'll they'll fucking talk to you. Yeah, I mean I don't know about you, but I I, I tend to get like apocalyptic when I see shit like this. I, I tend to think <sighs> I go back and forth. Yeah, I, I I try and play both sides, but my first immediate reaction usually is like. Okay, this is the end. Yeah, because if you watch her, spoiler alert, freaks, at the end of the movie, the AI should say, you humans are fucking stupid. <laughs> We're going to go. That's, that's how the movie ends. You basically just have this. All the AIs stop talking to the humans, and then you just, you're left with this feeling, like, oh, they're going to start Skynet. Yeah, but humans are Lindy, too. You know, like, we've been through a lot of stuff throughout our 200,000 years of existence or whatever it is. Yeah. You know, still, still here. Yeah, I mean that's the big question with this AI shit. Like, does it take over us, or do they essentially like just become tools that help us become more productive, more efficient, and allow us to focus on less mundane tasks? I mean, it's 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 probably that unless we're already captured, which we might be. Mm -hmm. And this has all been a mistake for the last couple hundred or since the industrial revolution. Um, but barring that, yeah, it'll probably just be a tool that we use that enhances our lives. Makes some things worse, but makes other things better as well. Yeah. I've had, uh, I've, somebody I've been talking to a, um, a bit about this, and he basically frames it. Apparently, within the AI world, there's um, a, a race, an arms race, for two se separate subsets of AI to an out closed source AI and open source AI. And the way he frames it to me is like, we need to make sure the open source stuff wins because the closed source stuff wins. It's basically like a technocratic dystopia. Yeah. 
but the open source stuff wins. It's it can't be. Uh, yeah, closed source is definitely Skynet. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We were just having this conversation with the every Friday we have like a a hangout for like an hour with the the team. Uh, today's topic was: um, Are we are we better off today or during like medieval times? <laughs> and uh, you know, fun chats with the Hoseki team. Um, most most people were saying that we're better. We're obviously better off today. I I, I don't know. Like I think whoa, whoa. It could go either way. All right, let's dive into this one. People get upset about this too. I've I've brought this up anonymously online. People get people get upset. I just think there's trade-offs like, you know, it's, you can't say it's objectively better in every sense. Okay. Hey, let's break it down. Like, well, let's paint the picture of life in medieval times. Neither of us are qualified to do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so like you die at 40 or 35, mm -hmm. start there. Okay. Um, today you die like alone at 85. I mean, a lot of people do and some like, you know, in some, in some death center or a hospital death center. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, just given the fact that you're numerically living longer, I don't think automatically means that it's a better life necessarily. Hmm. No. It does create the potential for a better life though. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, you have, you have more years to live, but like, are those quality years, what does your life look like as a result? I mean, depression and anxiety are like an all, at an, at an all-time high right now. Obesity. Yeah. I mean, Drug abuse. Just gen general, you know, dissatisfaction. Again, it, it's tough because there's a ton of speculation. We don't know what life was actually like during those years. We don't, there's, no, there's no surveys on depression and anxiety then, but... I, I just... This, this idea that we're progressing and becoming better people over time, I think is absurd. Why do you say that? Because what's anyone's basis on making that evaluation? Um, how, how can you say that you're better than people that lived 500 years ago or a thousand years ago? Yeah. I mean, we had the Austin Bitcoin club meet up last night and safe and I did a fireside chat, whatever you want to call it. We sat up there and we talked about time preference and we got deep into like history and particularly a history of architecture like you can objectively look at the ship being built today and compare it to a building like this built 100 years ago a building like the one next door built 150 years ago yeah and say like that's not going to last as long as this has lasted yeah so that's not better no it's not you've, you've hit on my main complaint about austin which is the architecture dude it's ugly it's really bad it's like impressively bad <laughs> it's like it was, it was, it was, looks like it was, it was all built in the eighties by someone on ketamine probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But do you see a path to like fix it? To fix the architecture to fix, uh, well, the architecture is an extension of the, um, degenerative rot that exists yeah, in yeah, our culture. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, this goes to another point that I shouldn't bring up. Um, do it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I think, uh, I think it can, um, I think it can get, I mean, I think Bitcoin is like the means to fix it. Um, but you know, when, so 
Like what would have to happen in order to have people work traditional older jobs, like, you know, like more blue collar jobs, for example, like we have a lot of bullshit jobs today. AI taking everybody's computer jobs. That might be one path. Definitely. Um, but I'll give you this example. I was, um, I was walking with, um, a friend of mine on chain employee actually. And, uh, his girlfriend and my girlfriend at the time, we were walking down one of these malls and, uh, they go, let's go into the store. And one of us says it's way too expensive. We're not, we're not, we're not going in the store. And, um, they say, okay, well, when you guys are millionaires, we'll go into the store. And I was like, okay. Uh, one crazy assumption. Um, but if we're millionaires, if our worldview, like, you know, if it plays out, none of this is going to exist. <laughs> like this shit won't be here. Uh, all this high time preference based living won't exist. And what I realized then is, well, I think Bitcoiners are advocating for a much more austere world. If you're talking, if you're, if you're a Bitcoiner who talks about having a Bitcoin standard world with, especially without any credit, any credit expansion, then you're living in a hard money austere environment. And, uh, things look a lot more like feudal for lack of better words. Like feudal or like, I imagine like beautiful European cities, just like walking. Well, yeah, I know that's what you imagine. I know that's, <laughs> I know that's it's what I imagine a lot of the time too. Um, and I'm not saying feudal is necessarily bad. Uh, I'm not saying it's good either. I'm just, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying it, it doesn't look like what things look like today. No. At all. You don't have fast fashion. No. Probably don't have fast food. No, you're going to be buying clothes that you're going to wear for 10 years. Yeah. I uh, like that. Which is how things used to be. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You, you go back, it was the turn of the 20th century, like all those suits that people were wearing back and you see those great videos of people walking around New York in top hats and suits. Yeah. I think it's pretty well known. That they was had, their one top hat yeah. and their one suit. Yeah. They had like one or two suits maybe. Yeah. They look good. They look good. And, and you know, this is like a, this is like, you know, like a Western kid in college complaining about how, you know, how beautiful like Beirut is or something or some place in Lebanon and you're like, yeah, dude, that's because you don't live there. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a bit of that too. It's like we have a lot of advantages that we have in current society um, that we're probably taking for granted, even as we think about what the world might turn into. Um, and we're probably like idealizing the past, maybe more than it should be. I don't know. Um, so it, it's 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 not it's not like it's it's not as objective as some people make it to make it out to be. No, yeah, there's obviously. No, yeah. Yes, I agree. There's obviously um, things have changed. We live in a reality, in a time. Modernity has many different variables, many different inputs, many different potential outputs. So it's obviously not going to compute one-to-one -one with what existed in the past, particularly with the digital age. Yeah. Yeah, now we're getting deep here. I got, you got me thinking about life on a Bitcoin standard. Yeah. Sorry, dude. Yeah, it's a, these are good thoughts to have or paths to, to wind down. Hmm. I mean, I, I can just, we can talk about like how it changes society at all. But then I think what's safe really drove home last night too was, 
you can think about these overarching ideas of how it affects society and there will definitely be an effect on society, but to get like the, the most signal, like how's it affected your life? I think about how Bitcoin has affected my life and changed my time preference and the way I interact in the economy and think about making economic decisions. I think it's certainly improved my life. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a net positive on most people's lives for sure. Um, what I try to do now is figure out what the bad parts of a, above a Bitcoin standard might be. I'm sold on the idea that it's good. I'm doing everything I can to accelerate that, or at least like, you know, do my job of building things that I think are important in order to get there. Um, but you know, I mean, not, not everything can be sunshine and rainbow. So what are the, what are the negatives that, that that's sort of what I'm like thinking through now last okay. month or so. What are the top? I've got nothing. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> We're at nothing. Um, hey, what are some of the, I'm sure you've gone through thought experiments thinking, trying to think of this, but like, what are so many ideas you thought, oh, this will definitely be bad. And then you thought through it, you're like, ah, oh, actually. Um, well, I, I guess, so like things, I mean, I, I see things being more localized, for example, like. It's good. I think it's great. Yeah. Um, but there's, like, it's got to limit some stuff. Like it's gonna, for example, like we know certain things are bad for us that are part of society, but it's simply part of what our existence looks like. So, um, we still like enable it some way or another. Um, you just won't have this, like these crazy credit cycles, for example. Um, so much wealth has been generated in the last 10, 15 years. Right. We, we wouldn't have that same sort of, phenomenon happen on a Bitcoin standard theoretically. No. Um, that's probably good, but again, like there, there must be some bad associated with that as well. I think the bad is just the rewiring of people's brains and the collective shock that will come with being like, hey, this is not how things are going to operate. Yeah. What's crazy about collective shock though is that people adjust really quickly. Um, so, you know, one of the reasons why I'm in Bitcoin is because um, I was raised on my family stories about what happened in Iran after the revolution and how things changed so quickly and so dramatically uh, night and day. Um, you can see that with pictures. You see like women in like mini skirts and stuff as you know the other end of the spectrum before the revolution and then everyone in trash bags afterwards. And that, you know, shift in society was 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 like, you know, incredibly dramatic, uh, but people adjust. They adjust like pretty quickly. Uh, your mental framework just changes. This is now what life is like. Uh, I now can't drink alcohol freely. Um, I can't gamble freely. Um, I mean, you know, those are two probably things you shouldn't do a lot anyway, but, uh, but anyway, but like life changes and people just adjust. Um, yeah. Could you imagine if somebody said that in America today, you can't gamble and drink? No. We got too many guns to, to <laughs> let that happen anyway. <laughs> yeah, talk about a civil war, dude. Or a call to arms. That'd be a crazy instigator. Um, but your Iranian heritage, I mean, you've, you've expressed this to me, it drives a lot. And it helps you crystallize your view of Bitcoin, correct? Yeah, it's it's been... Um, it's, it's, it's probably been the most dominant thing for me, at least, 
um, for a couple of reasons. One, just the fact that they went through an entire systemic change in that experience. We talk about, you know, global systemic change as a result of the thing that we work on and spend our time on. So there's that parallel. The other thing is the fact that they're outside of the U.S. dollar system, which is interesting just because Bitcoin operates outside of the U.S. dollar system. And lastly, um, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> it seems so profound, and then I forgot. Um, lastly, is the inflation, is the fact that they uh, people in that country live under a criminally inflationary environment. Uh, so it hits all the marks. I, you know, I've I've seen extended family um, and closer families' life savings it disappears as a result of um, inflation in that country. Uh, I've seen what happens when you have unilateral control over, you know, uh, importing of medicine, for example, um, because of the fiat system that you're in charge of. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I've, uh, I, so, so, so none of this is theoretical for me. It's all very practical. I've seen it firsthand. Yeah. It's so fucked. I mean, you mentioned Beirut and Lebanon earlier. Like they just went through this last year. Yeah. Um, I, I wonder like, like, I wonder if, if Bitcoin is ever going to help people in those countries. Um, it's a talking point that we use. I use it. Everyone uses it. You can cross borders with, you know, it's your seed phrase in your, in your head, in your brain, in your brain. Um, but it seems to be helping like at an individual level. I think it helps people in the West more than it does people in these countries. Why do you say that? Well, I just haven't, I mean, I, I haven't heard any stories about Lebanese Bitcoiners, for example. Um, you hear some stuff in Iran. There's, they've got the mining going on. Um, but I, I'm, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm just not hearing it, but I, I haven't heard that many stories. I mean, Gladstein does his work, which is great, but it seems more anecdotal. Like I haven't seen a wave of adoption in places that truly have really bad inflation. In places I could really use sound money. Yeah. I think that's objectively true. Yeah. There's probably, I mean, the anecdotal stuff is probably true as well, but what percentage of the population is that? But I'm not crazy. Like you're not, you're not really seeing it either, right? No. I mean, Safe described it last night. He was talking about Safe's Lebanese. And um, I asked him the question, like, how do we, the more broad question of how do we get people to think differently about time preference and, adopting Bitcoin, particularly in areas with hyperinflation like Lebanon. And he said, yeah, would I go and I'm Lebanese. I taught at a university over there and I talked to my friends who are otherwise well off, smart and explain Bitcoin and it's important, sound money. And they got hung up on the fact that it didn't have yield. They could park their money in their <laughs> Lebanese bank accounts and get 14%. And they're like, why would I buy something that it, do, it doesn't grow after huh. I buy it? That's how he explained it. Yeah. So that sounds like a cultural difference. Yeah. But I wonder why we care so much then. I think it's driven. I mean, I like to think maybe I'm LARPing, but I like to think it's a genuine, uh, a genuine want for others to leverage this tool to make their lives better. I truly believe that Bitcoin 
this is the best money we've ever had <clears throat> on the planet and it could truly help individuals around the world. I think that's, I'll just speak for myself. That's why I talk about it this way. Yeah. Because objectively when compared to the currencies that they're subjected to, it would be much better off if they started adopting Bitcoin, accumulating it, dumping their their lira, their real, whatever it is for for Bitcoin. Do you think it's because we have um do you think it's because we have like the uh like the like like the time in the room to think about these things in order to and like take action? It's definitely it probably be part, part of it. Yeah. Maybe. We have the luxury to sit collect paychecks under a, a system that's not as inflationary and, and think about this stuff. Because I, I constantly think about like whether a Bitcoin standard comes with the trade-off or comes with the trade-off of a weakened dollar hegemony. And like on first look, it seems like it does. There's there's like the milkshake theory as well. So yeah, the, there are arguments that it doesn't. I think that might be some opium though, to be honest. Um, no, I mean the dollar hege hegemony, hegemony. Tomato, tomato. I mean, it's fucked either way. I mean, this year really drove that home. Yeah. Just because of the sanctions alone. Yeah. Well, but I, I just mean that I, I, I constantly think it's interesting that people in a country that are in a position of um, power would embrace something that would take that power away. Yeah, no, I don't think it's going to happen that way. I mean, that's it's definitely not going to happen. Like, or maybe. I mean, that's why I've been pushing like states' rights here in the United States, like fade the federal government, yep. go to your local politicians at the county level, at the city level, at the state level, and say, hey, like, we want to use Bitcoin. It's going to help our state out. Um, and because the federal government is just filled with a bunch of geriatric sociopaths, yep. we're never going to give way to this thing. Yeah. Yeah. The FTX stuff is almost proving that. Yeah. Any question. That Maxine Waters tweet today. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, I read a good comment about uh, maybe this is like a sleight of hand and they're going to actually arrest him when he comes on shore, but there's easier ways to, to do that. Yeah. Um, he should uh, be arrested right now. Yeah. You know, though, um, I kept thinking during this last bull run, like, what's the correction going to look like? Like, there's so much shit that's happening and it's so outrageous. Uh, what is what is it going to look like? And honestly, this is commensurate. This is like, <laughs> this this is what the correction should look like, given what we just saw. Yes. Whiz kids, galaxy brain traders, hedge fund managers, tokenomic geniuses. It was all LARP. Just a lot of bullshit. Yeah. I was I I was surprised how it carried off from the last bull run though. It just like picked up where it left off, made things a little bit different. Not ICOs anymore, DeFi and NFTs, but it's like basically the same thing. Yeah, yield, yield, yield yeah. was the meme of yeah this cycle. You are the yield freaks. Don't ever forget that. Yeah, but you've been building. What's it like been building in this environment? Amazing. Um, Seems like your your reason for being is being uh, validated. That was nice to see. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Cause you feel like an insane, I mean, you always feel like an insane person, but uh, when 
things happen that prove out your thesis. It's like, it's nice. Um, yeah, building a bear market's great. Yeah. It's like, I mean, it's, 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 it's cliche at this point, but like, there's no noise. It's like almost all signal. Um, only the real ones are still here. Um, and, uh, and I particularly like when things are falling apart. It's like when I'm the most calm and the most like happy and the most functional is when it's uncertain and we just don't know if we're going to make it through. Um, so as an industry now, I'm pretty sure we all feel like we're going to make it through, but, uh, you know, it seems like things are falling apart. Like we don't know where the bottom is. We don't know what regulators are going to do. Um, we don't know what's safe anymore. I mean, we know it's safe, but you know, a lot of people in the space don't know it's safe. So it's like incredibly chaotic. Um, and that's a happy place to be, especially if you're building something that's like very low time preference and very, you know, uh, reasonably sound as well. Yeah. And so what, what drove you to start Hoseki particularly? Mm, it was, um, well, again, I, I just go back to like my own insanity, which plays a part in it. Because it, it does like, for example, when I was at Fidelity, it was very, like I was getting a great paycheck, great benefits, um, great work hours. Uh, but I was missing that like sort of uh, risk of bodily harm <laughs> that you have when you're on your own doing something like this. Um, so that so that generally, like I, I wanted to go out and do and like run, run, a, run a company again. Um, but this time, you know, sort of, have a clear vision of, ex of exactly what it is I want to build. And after writing the proof of reserves paper, I was just I, like a light bulb went off. I just figured, I just looked at this and I thought this, this, this seems useful. Um, and it's like, I don't know who's, I don't know if anything exists in order to actually use this thing that I think is useful. Um, so yeah, it was, it was just a combination of me wanting to go out and build something build something like for the Bitcoin space. Um, and a great opportunity that I, that I, that I discovered, um, I had read this book and this is part of the presentation I gave in Riga called, uh, the mystery of capital by Hernando de Soto. And so, um, I, I, I'd read it while I was at Fidelity and I forgot who recommended it to me. Um, I think maybe Alan Farrington wrote something about it. And then I, and then I came across the book. Uh, but the, the, the book describes how people in the third world, um, don't have property rights. It's like, mm -hmm. it's like basically the whole conclusion of the book. Um, the premise of the book is the simple question. Why is the, uh, the developed world, um, or the Western world, which is like North America, Europe, and Japan, why are they so wealthy as it relates to the rest of the world, the global South, third world developing markets, whatever you want to call it. And, um, you know, he says, well, is it market orientation? Is it like IQ? Are they dumber? Um, are they less industrious? Is it some geographical restriction? Like why, why are they objectively overall so much poor? And his answer is that it's none of those things. It's actually their property rights. They are incredibly wealthy in the assets that they do have, but they don't have ways to express those things. They don't have ways to leverage them. They don't have ways to prove them in a court of law. Um, things like mortgages are difficult. And, uh, and that lack of property rights, it, 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 it sort of results in these things being dead capital is the term that he uses. Uh, they're worth a lot, but you can't do anything with it. And so it's just stuck where it is. And that's just how I looked at my cold storage. <laughs> I was like, this thing I'm told is incredibly powerful. I'm my own bank, but I don't have any banking services. 
And so what would be required in order to sort of get us to that next level? And I just thought, well, having a platform, a layer of expressing ownership of Bitcoin is, is probably what we need in order to like take that next big step as like a mature asset. Yes. I completely agree. And I mean, this I've had that same problem. I mean, the go-to story for me is like trying to get an apartment in Brooklyn. And I was a true Bitcoiner, like just held, stacked, saved all my money in Bitcoin. Uh, had a job, was making income at the time, but like didn't have like a savings account with 10 months worth of rent in it. It was in Bitcoin. And I like tried to haggle with the landlord, like, hey, like I have plenty of money, like multiples of what you're asking for. Like I can, yeah, I'll, I'll sign a transaction. I'll teach you how Bitcoin works. I'll sign a transaction, approve. I'll put a message in it. And they were like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> you look at you like you're insane. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, it's, 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 I mean, people hold Bitcoin in different ways. They hold it in different places and there just isn't a uniform way to express that ownership. Um, yeah, so mortgages have been like our go, that, that, that was our go to market because it's uh, it's it's a real problem. It's like you know the thing we have on our website is is Bitcoin rich fiat poor. It's, it's like tongue in cheek, but um, but that's a problem a lot of people have today. They 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 have something that's actually worth a lot, but they have no way to have the have the counterparty assess and verify those assets. There's 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 really virtually no way to do it. You can take a screenshot of the UI that you're using if you're using cold storage, um, but that's imperfect, like for a lot of reasons. Um, but mainly it's like insulting we're, we're, we're on, you know, the cutting edge of financial engineering. Why am I taking a screenshot <laughs> to like show you that I have money? Um, and the next thing is they tell you, well, you can send those assets to Coinbase, for example, and print out a statement, but that's antithetical to the whole purpose of me self-custodying my assets. Um, I don't want to do that. I should just be able to like have some form factor and tell you, look, like I'm good for the money. It's, it's, it's here. And ideally, if they could also verify that, then you know that's a winning combination. And Bitcoin natively lets you do that. That's my favorite thing about building this. We're not doing any crazy cryptography and crazy abstraction on top of Bitcoin. We're using the protocol. Um, and I relate it to multi-sig um, collaborative custody companies because multi-sig works independent of any of these companies. However, they make it so much easier um, and build a great interface and service and app that allows you to use something that Bitcoin gives you the opportunity to use and expression of ownership is no different. And so for the freaks who are unaware of what Hoseki is, it's, it's an app that allows you to attest that you own certain Bitcoin. How do you guys do that? You use the chain obviously, but what does it look like when a user is getting onboarded to Hoseki? How can they leverage it? Yep. What are you guys doing for them? So in the dashboard, you add accounts. Um, we have a naming issue in the space, and I'm I I I don't have like um, enough like hubris or whatever it is to 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 claim that I have like the right nomenclature for something. But we're we're, we're using what we think works. So uh, wallets are accounts, effectively. Um, individual addresses are accounts. And so what we do is you can connect to your accounts. You can connect your treasure, your ledger, uh, your cold card. Um, or provide signatures for individual addresses. And the first product that we launched was called Statements. So what you do is you um, connect those sources of funds, those, those accounts, and then you're able to print out a letterhead statement that looks like a bank statement that has your different assets sort of delineated. 
um, your beginning monthly balance, your ending monthly balance, your deposits and withdrawals, your sales and um, additions. And um, that way the broker or whoever the counterparty is, uh, has some degree of comfort in looking at your assets because, and entirely because it looks like things that they normally see. <laughs> it's insane. That's, that is the reason. Um, and that was kind of like a little bit of a long shot. <laughs> like, you know, uh, we're assuming the problem is, is that things don't look official enough. And it turns out that that is like a, a huge, a huge sort of, um, blocker. Yeah. For a lot of these people. And you guys have made traction, particularly like in the mortgage. Yeah, in so. well, in the mortgage space, but also in uh, in visa and residency applications. So you know, like, and I'm sure this applies to things that people build in general. That there are use cases that you just hadn't thought of. And so um, I, I love that narrative though, because it's it's we're, we're people are using a jurisdictionless asset in order to become global citizens, which I think you know is poetic. Um, in terms of you know it, it, it being a use case uh, for for uh, Bitcoin, yeah, it really is. And so, how do you see this evolving moving forward? Well, we have a bunch of different products that we're launching um, that make things a bit more programmatic. So the obvious issue with the statements are that they're in time attestations. So uh, you just proven that one point in time that you have some Bitcoin, at least to like the broker. So they see a statement, they say, okay, here's like two Bitcoin as an example. Um, well, they're not going to really get this far because um, they're not that technical or, or that's not really their concern yet. But that just proves that you had the assets at that point in time. Um, but making things programmatic with Bitcoin is really easy because these are on-chain assets. You can monitor them. So we have a lot of cool features that we're releasing. Um, we just released our POR page as an example. So any institution can go in and prove that they have Bitcoin. And then we can monitor those assets in perpetuity. So Binance comes in and proves that they have a thousand Bitcoin. No one else in the platform can um, claim the same wallets or addresses that they disclose ownership of. And so there's no double pledging or, or, or double attesting. Um, and, uh, and we know it's them because they connected with their t Twitter account as an example. So uh, Real Bedford is the only one that's actually verified on our page <laughs> at the moment. So if you go to Hoseki.app, you'll see you'll see real Bedford just show up in the verified accounts. Um, so there's that product. We're doing more programmatic verification so you can get like updates if funds move. Um, you can request signatures in real time. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, we're just full heads down at the moment. Yeah, and when it comes to disclosing assets, it's like the interesting thing about like Bitcoiners are very privacy centric, but they also want these good and goods and services. Like how do you approach that sort of archetype and selling to that type of person? I mean, you, you only use this if you need to use it. So for example, if you're a Bitcoiner and you have, you've got your stack and you're sitting on it and you don't actually need to get a mortgage or anything, then, then, then don't use the product because we can't, we can't do anything for you. Um, so it's only if you need to actually prove to someone you have Bitcoin in the first place. Um, and then two, uh, so these were all my concerns when I first built the company because I come from the same like mental framework, which is, which is, which is helpful because I think a lot of people think about like that personality type as an afterthought and they realize, well, our infrastructure is already built. We can't really account for this person now. So one of the first things, one of the first things we did is, um, make sure that we can support privacy in the sense that you can provide a signature for an individual address instead of giving us your whole XPUB. Um, those are for individuals that are more privacy conscious. 
Um, it's KYC free by default. So all you need is an email in order to create an account. Um, that'll make sense for some of the features that we have built that we're releasing soon. Um, for example, with the statements, and this comes back to like retrofitting Bitcoin to the legacy world, people identify who you are by your physical address. So, you know, you want to like buy a car um, or get a loan in general, they need to see like, you know, um, some insurance car, some utility bill and something else. What they're looking for is your name and, and that same address. So that's how they identify you. So on the statements, if you're showing it to a broker and they need to see that it's you, they expect to see your name and an address, just like a bank statement. So, um, so you have to do those things if that's your use case, but you don't need to provide any KYC information to create an account. And for some of the stuff that's more programmatic, like me proving to you that I have some Bitcoin, um, that can be done through like a Twitter account and that could be my identity, or it could be done through a throwaway email. And you don't actually have to know who I am, uh, de again, depending on what the use case might be. So yeah, KYC free by default. Um, you can provide and only disclose ownership of addresses um, as well without having to dox your whole XPUB or wallet. Um, and then you can delete all this information at any time. Sounds like a pretty good service. I hope so. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> 20, uh, 2018, Marty could have really used it. Yeah. That, that's, that's been the best like, compliment I keep hearing is that like I wish this existed when I needed this. Yeah. As an example, which is really good to hear. Yeah, I had to go hat in hand to my mother-in-law. Like, can you co-sign our lease? Because <laughs> fucking your, your, your daughter married an idiot, put all his money in Bitcoin. I just like, it really comes out of frustration because again, like, like we're, we're told we have this incredibly valuable asset, but I can't do much with it except move it or sell it. And I just don't think that's the case. Um, so yeah, it, it comes from a place of like deep frustration. Uh, we should be empowered. So in Riga, I called it arming Bitcoiners. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel that, and, and that's, you know, I mean, you can say it softly, like, you know, empower Bitcoiners instead, but I feel like we're arming Bitcoiners with tools that empower them, uh, to be able to walk into any institution and eventually have like a red carpet thrown at, thrown at them. Like right now you're walking in with your chin down and like your shoulders hunched over because you know, you're going to be treated like a second class citizen because they're not going to give a shit about your digital internet money. Yeah. <laughs> Get out of here. No apartment for you. Yeah. No longer. How does this evolve in your wildest dreams? Like we've talked, you've talked about like the different trust models that exist in Africa between communities and a service like Oseki can really develop like a good web of trust in, yeah. in areas like that. Yeah. Um, I think trust is really important. Uh, I mean, yeah, tr trust is really important, especially who you decide to give your trust to. Um, I think trust between individuals that you know is really important. And I think that's like an unexploited uh, like relationship parameter that humans just naturally have and do. Um, I naturally trust someone I've known since childhood. I naturally trust a family member I mean, with caveats and maybe depending on the individual, it may change. Uh, but on the whole, I have a reason to uh, put whatever trust that I want um, with you or, or, or uh, to you. So, I think this idea that I can prove to you that I have a certain amount of Bitcoin for a given use case, uh, maybe I'm borrowing some money and you want to be able to monitor and make sure that I have some assets in order for you to give me a loan. Um, granted, it's uncollateralized. You can't do anything about that fact. Like if I default, you can't, I mean, reasonably, you can't force me to send my Bitcoin to you. Um, but this is someone that you've known since childhood that lives in your neighborhood that, you know, knows your parents, that you know their parents and they come over for Thanksgiving. 
Um, there's a bit of a different model there as opposed to someone who's completely random. Um, that clicked for me when a friend of mine told me that her grandfather died in India and people were lined out the door um, for blocks to repay the debt that they, that they owed him. The guy's dead, but there's still uh, a familial trust relationship within that community. And that's really, really important. Re- Reputation is critical. And, uh, and people don't take that lightly. So um, I, think, I think Bitcoin can do a better job of exploiting that natural sort of tendency that people have of trusting people that they know for a long time. That's a crazy story. Lining up after he's dead to pay. Yeah. That's like a commitment to being honorable. Well, because you know, if you don't, you're going to be seen as a person who's a scammer in the community, which is important because that community is your world, right? Um, and this just goes back to a more localized world. Like we shouldn't be trusting random institutions, faceless intermediaries. We should be trusting people that we know, that we physically can touch, people that we can look into their eyes and like, you know, talk to those are the people we should trust. And that's what I think Bitcoin does. I I, I think it'll, I think it'll, it'll decentralize that back to like small localized, more community based models. Yeah. And that's a, it's a good future in my books. I think so too. Yeah. Cause you know, now everything's the same. Like you go to, you go to London, you go to uh, Berlin, you go to Singapore. Um, A lot of these places look the same now. Um, They have the same things. Uh, they've lost their own personalities. Yeah, they all got Madewell, J. Crew, Lululemon. We've got Starbucks everywhere. Oh, yeah, everyone's wearing the same things. A lot of them I've noticed, even um, like they have the same mannerisms now. I think the internet sort of helped that. Like uh, mannerisms that might have been localized to one culture are now sort of dispatched globally. And if it takes off, it takes off and people adopt it. And so everything's uniform. And that sucks. That's not interesting. No. Um, being from Philly, I don't think Philly will ever adopt the global mannerisms. They'll just tell you to go fuck yourself and go birds. Well, would the world adopt Philly mannerisms? <laughs> I, uh, God, no. <laughs> no. No, I don't think so. I'm going to keep it. Austin has Keep Austin Weird. Philly has just Keep Philly Philly. I don't like Keep Austin Weird. Do you? Um, I mean, it's not it's not my city. I'm not going to comment on that. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. I should take note. I don't think it's that weird. Maybe that's why the phrase started in the first place. It was definitely much weirder at some point in the past. Yeah. Compared to Philly, it's not weird at all. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think it's that weird anyway. Maybe I don't go out enough, but I don't, I don't think it's I, that I, That's another thing, again. Got two kids. You met, you met my youngest before we started recording. And yeah. I don't really get to get weird, no matter where that's I am. It's probably a good thing, man. Yeah, it is. It is. That's the other thing. I mean, I talked about this with Safe last night too. Like just thinking about how Bitcoin really changes your perspective on like the nuclear family and doing something for somebody other than yourself and thinking about legacy and yeah, the world you're leaving your children. You're not able to plan generations out um, today, like most people. I mean, Bitcoiners do that. At least we think we're doing that. We hope that we're doing that. But people in the fiat system, it's impossible. Um, yeah, no, it's literally impossible. You can't, you can't, you can't have any idea what the world will look like from an economic perspective, even locally, for your grandkids. Um, so how can you possibly plan? Yeah, I mean the construction of 
an economy built on fiat and debt is literally you're incentivized to leave your children again, grandchildren in a worse off economic situation with more debt, yeah. more interest to be paid yeah. as opposed to a, a sound money world where you accumulate capital and generation over generation. You're hoping that the next generation accumulates a little bit more capital and leaves it for their descendants. It's completely reversed. Yeah. And again, that goes back to the architecture. You can tell with the buildings, if you're building a building to last hundreds of years, uh, it's going to look different and you're going to use different things to build that than something than the things that we see today everywhere. Yeah. Just glass phallic shit. You know, what's awful in Boston, Boston's Boston's a huge, uh, huge, um, uh, criminal in this sense. Um, and it's sad because they have like, it's one of the oldest cities in the U S frankly, it's like, it, you know, that in that area is like where the U S was born, uh, where America was born. And, uh, you see this beautiful colonial architecture, but then you see these like eighties nightmares, like the federal reserve or the, 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 the federal reserve in Boston looks satanic. <laughs> probably, it, probably is. It, it looks like a cheese grater. Um, but like a satanic cheese grater. And what they do is so Miami's full of this too. You've got these like uniform glass buildings. They all look the same. They're soulless. Um, but you've got the eighties version of that, which is concrete. So in Boston, what they're doing with some buildings downtown is they're, <laughs> they're taking these, uh, uniform looking Excel spreadsheet, like, you know, parking lot, concrete eighties buildings, and they're putting glass over them. Oh no. So they're wrapping it. You can't even see out the glass. Um, no, no, no. You can probably see out the glass. So if you had a window in the existing infrastructure, you, you, they'll probably put a window on that end too. So you can see throughout. But my point is, is that they're wrapping it with like this, like, like the same soulless sort of like thematic, but the modern day version of it. And it's glass. It's so fucked. That's the thing too. People are like, oh, it's getting hotter in the cities. Global warming. It's like, no, because you put up all these glass structures that are just fucking reflecting the sun back onto the earth. You <laughs> idiots. It's like one of those people with those like sun, sun. Reflectors yeah. It's literally what the cities are doing at a city level. Yeah. Oh, it's hot as hell. It's like 120 in Austin, Texas. It's like, yeah, because you have big fucking reflectors all throughout the city. It is It is pretty hot down here, though, usually. Yeah. We usually go back north in the summer. Yeah. That's a, a smart move. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, we're supposed to talk about proof of reserves and the whole meme going on right now. Yeah, we can. Um, how much time do we have? I don't know. Yeah, like 10 minutes. Oh, jeez. Um, okay. You well, gotta get the top of the hour, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I got time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I just like, I don't see how it's a bad, I just, okay. So, uh, we're doing proof of reserves for individuals. Um, like you, Marty have Bitcoin. You need to prove that to someone like those are your reserves. So it's the same concept. We built the company focusing on retail because so like the mental model we have is if you hold your own private keys, uh, then you are in the same category as an institution because you are your own bank. I mean, I would go so far as to say that like you're a city state or something like that is really what I see in the future. Um, but, 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 but you are your own bank. You are an institution. You should be empowered as such. The mortgage use case is interesting because like the narrative is flipped for these people. Normally you go to a broker and you show them assets in the form of like a fidelity statement or your bank statement. And so this is, you know, uh, a big trusted faceless brand 
that they that they've that they've heard of that has a big reputation and uh, they hold your assets. You never hold your assets. Like you never go to a broker with the assets that you are physically holding yourself. But now it's flipped. Now 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 you are the bank. You are the institution. Uh, and they just don't know how to handle it because they've never had to experience that before. And so our statements model is just, it's almost like we're like memeing them. We're saying, okay, well, here's an official statement. Here's a letterhead. Here's a customer service line. Here's an email. And then here are the assets that you expect from this person um, with their name and their address. So this is like your official certified Marty institutional statement. It's sort of how we see it, even though it has a Hoseki letterhead, because that's what they expect to see. Um, and so the proof of reserves is for individuals. Um, but the same infrastructure can be applied to institutions as well because it's the same. Like you're you're no different than Binance. They just happen to have you know ten thousand Bitcoin or something. Or they're supposed to probably more than that. Yeah, yeah. So there's a, there's a minor difference. Um, but but like you're effectively the same. You 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 buy the Bitcoin protocol. You function as the same like user group. You're the same thing. Uh, so we didn't focus on institutions though because we just didn't, didn't think they would care. Like we knew when I when I helped write that paper, the conclusion of the paper was that customers aren't demanding transparency from exchanges and they have no incentive to, to be, to be transparent. Like no one's going to be the first one through the door and disclose how much Bitcoin they have just for the, you know, for the sake, for the, for the, for the hell of it. Customers, you need to demand it. And so after Mt. Gox, there was like a small blip apparently around POR. There was another Renaissance in 2019, but none of them really stuck. So this is like the first moment where there's real momentum. We have an opportunity to actually self-regulate. And the most important thing, and I think this is what people are confusing. So two things. One, proof of reserves is not the same thing as proof of solvency. Your reserves are your, are your reserves, are your assets. Proof of reserves plus proof of liabilities, that is your proof of solvency. So when someone says, this is, or an exchange says I've conducted a proof of reserves, Binance, uh, I think they're, well, they're, they're, they have like an auditor. So they're trying to, they're, they're, what they're trying to do is do a proof of solvency. But when they disclose their on-chain addresses, they're doing a proof of reserves um, or they're attempting to do a proof of reserves. So that's the one thing. One is the naming. Like we don't mean proof of reserves as proof of solvency. They're two very different things. Um, I think part of the issue too is like the officialness of the naming. Um, as Bitcoiners, whenever we hear proof of and it's not proof of work, it's a scam. Because what do we normally hear? We hear proof of stake. We hear proof of bullshit. Like it's 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 usually it's, it's usually it's bullshit. Um, so that I think is part of the issue. We hear proof of, and we hear proof of reserves, and we hear that we think this is some like you know fancy, sophisticated thing that we should all be adopting, and it has that negative connotation in our head. I think subconsciously we hear proof of, and we're like, well, this is automatically a scam. And so I think that there's like a naming issue there as well. Um, but most importantly, uh, we're not. People that, so I, I advocate for proof of reserves for exchanges. That doesn't mean that people should use these exchanges or use these yield, these yield generating platforms. Um, I think the problem is the risk that we're providing assurances to have people then trust custodians, which isn't the case. You should not trust custodians. You shouldn't trust exchanges. You shouldn't trust yield generating platforms. You should self custody these assets. Um, so that's like sort of like the building blocks of where we come from. Um, but nothing's lost by having them be transparent. Like we haven't solved the liabilities issue. The, the assets part is clean though. Bitcoin natively does that. So I'm failing to understand where, 
like what what the downside is of having them be transparent in the first place. Yeah, I think it's a framing issue where a lot of the people, I mean, the big meme, I mean, I even tweeted out, said the best proof of reserves is moving Bitcoin into a wallet that you control. Um, and that's right. Which is right. But going back to like the framing issue, some reason or just the product of where we are today in Bitcoin's adoption phase, like most people are going to acquire Bitcoin via exchanges. Is that a good thing due to the KYC AML regulations that exist and all the information you need to give up and the illegitimacy of the bank secrecy act? No, I don't like it. I prefer to acquire sats in a non KYC fashion via the revenue produced by this media company mining operations however it's just a fact most people are going to acquire bitcoin via exchanges and with that fact in mind if you could provide assurances to those individuals that they're going and buying bitcoin from somebody who actually has it and they know that if they do go to take their bitcoin off it's most likely there again i don't see I do think it is an improvement on the status quo. Well, yeah, I mean, it's not going to. So, a, yeah, it definitely is an improvement. Like, there aren't better proposals on how to uh, like improve things moving forward. Um, FTX is a great example. They had more liabilities than they had assets, but they literally had no Bitcoin. <laughs> None. So, if there was some like you know culture around them needing to be transparent, like someone would have saw that and would have been like, hey, "Hey, I think something's wrong. They don't have any fucking Bitcoin." <laughs> Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I, look, we're like, like we, uh, we built this company to, for like self-custody individuals. So the more people that self-custody, the better my business does, but I'm also not delusional. Like I know a lot of people are still going to use these platforms. So, um, you know, like, it's like, it's like cigarette, it's like cigarettes. It's like, you know, putting a cancerous lung, though it's annoying to see, uh, doesn't, it doesn't do any net negative uh, to save the point one to one percent that do actually cease. Like it, it's, it's 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 worth it's worth being on there, which is how we see proof of reserves. It's like you're using a cancerous product, um, but here's some warning label about it. You know they don't have that much Bitcoin. <laughs> but also, like we need to be serious about maturing the industry. Um, I've been on phones with like you know like offices of congressmen and senators just just, just trying to trying to educate them on on what's on what happened and what we can possibly do the idea isn't that you're that a proof of reserves will prevent an ftx like thing from happening it's 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 not gonna it's not gonna prevent ponzi's but it mitigates them um it absolutely mitigates them um you can't conduct what what ftx conducted on a, on, a, on a proof of reserves like system and more importantly we have the tooling to do it um we don't need help from anyone else. The tooling is part of the protocol. Uh, we just need to demand our, our you know, uh, custodians to uh, to do so. And if we're building a parallel system outside of the fiat legacy system, we should be able to be to like hold people accountable and, and be disciplined. Um, if we don't want them to intervene, which it looks like they will. Yeah, it's fucked. Yeah, I agree. It's again, I can I can certainly see the argument like proof of reserves could lull retail investors into a false sense of security. The exchange is building up dollar liabilities in the background goes bust and their creditors get first dibs on that Bitcoin. Um, 
they're prioritized creditors. But it's it's a, it's a, it's a choice of one doing nothing, which I don't think is good. Two is promote is uh, promoting the idea of using auditors, but FTX use auditors. All these people use auditors. So that's not a real solution. The one thing none of them did was be public about their on-chain assets in a publicly verifiable way. Yeah. None of them did that. So why don't we just try that? Yeah. I guess it's a who jumps first. Yeah, that's that's like the main issue. No one's going to want to be the first one to the door. I, I understand it from an exchange I mean, perspective. BitMEX is there. BitMEX is there, but they're the one outlier, really. Yeah. What do you think of BitMEX's proof of reserve? I think they're doing God's work. They're... They're, uh, they're doing it the right way because you would argue some people doing it the right way and others who are not. Doing yeah, it. no, they're 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 um, from what I understand, they're doing it the right way. I, I don't remember how they're doing the on-chain assets. I think they're just disclosing their wallet balances, right? I'm not sure. I think um, I don't know if they're per, if they're generating signatures in order to do so. Um, but the liabilities part is like the most robust liabilities implementation that I've seen. Um, it's what we propose in the paper as well. I think they're they're like splitting their um, accounts are like split. I think they had to be signing signatures because users, individual users can like check nonces or something like that. Well, you can check the liabilities because it's Merkleized, but that's separate from the assets. Um, they must like they they probably are. I mean, if, if, they're, if they're if they're if they're running this version of proof of liabilities, then they're probably also uh, doing it the sound way with the assets, which is generating signatures. Yeah. Yeah. No, those are good guys. I haven't actually met them. I just follow their work. Um, but they're like the most sort of like, uh, like sound operators in the space. They have been for a while. It's, I mean, it's fascinating that like Arthur Hayes and the dude who got yanked in Boston from BitMEX, mm-hmm. forget his name. Yeah. I forget too. But like they went straight to jail for like KYC AML stuff. This dude loses 10 billion. He's got Maxine Waters like, come on over to DC. He's got George Stephanopoulos having him on. He's got Aaron Ross Sorkin interviewing him for an hour and a half. And then BitMEX has been a company that's built a Bitcoin focused product the right way from day one. Yeah. Literally a Bitcoin on a Bitcoin standard, leverages Bitcoin's native properties, batch spends, proof of reserves, proof of liabilities. And they just get dragged through the mud did um did arthur go to jail i don't think i remember that he got he definitely went on he trial fined. he was he got fined he was um he never went to jail the the uh the best thing i've seen on twitter this last week was um was a meme that said uh fine uh or do you mean it's legal for a price yeah it's so corrupt that's another reason when you like, we just need to rid ourselves of these corrupt sociopaths, these kleptocrats. Yeah. Like yeah. it's like, that's what like I tweeted under Maxine Waters today. It's like the George Orwell quote, the 1984 quote. We've got 1984 yeah, right up here. It's like the quote at the end of the book where that was like the last move of the regime. I'm terribly misquoting this, but what's to openly tell you not to believe your eyes and your ears and Hmm. just tell you something. This is fine. I mean, the political corruptness though, is that, um, that's a function of just politics. That's not, that's not like a, I don't think it's even like a fiat thing. I think that's human organizational thing. Yeah. It's not made easier with fiat. It's not at all. I wonder, 
this yeah like i i really wonder if bitcoin in that localization model if it brings us more into like a city-state model and it fractures i hope it does i hope that way that's the only way i think that's the only way to put these things in check in a world like that you'd have you probably have violence like the rate of violence would be higher but it wouldn't be as catastrophic um you wouldn't be able to conduct these global campaigns uh of war you know overseas kill a million iraqis right that's what i mean yeah um it would just you'd just be more accountable yeah. I think, yeah, I think people here, why do people, is there a negative connotation with city state? I don't think so. I think there's a negative connotation with advocating for the breakup of nation states. Yes. Probably. That's what it is. Yeah. The product of that is city states. <laughs> but again, that's another thing we need to get better at articulating, memeing, whatever you want to call it. It's like shit isn't scalable literally from an information systems perspective, from a complex systems perspective, it doesn't make sense yeah. to operate countries this large. I mean, there's different, there's a different vibe in Austin, Dallas and Houston. And you compare like the Northeast to the South East, to the Southwest to the Texas to Massachusetts is very different. California to Florida is very different. Um, there aren't a whole bunch of points of commonality. Pittsburgh to Philadelphia is very different. Yeah. Like in Lancaster to Philadelphia is very different. Like 40 miles away from each other. Well, you've got big cities that have more things in common than their own, like kin. So you've got like, you know, London and New York have way more in common than New York and like Oshkosh. Yeah. Um, or some other city. Yeah. How do we get people comfortable with a break, like this, that's the other thing too. Like a breakup doesn't necessarily mean that people don't cooperate between these broken up city states. No, but you're talking about identity now. I know, which is tough. America, America. It's hard, man. I mean, in Texas, there's a, there's a good like Texan identity. Like people yeah. identify as Texans here. They're lot, Texan first. Them. Yeah, I've got a natural born Texan in the family. Do you? Oh yeah, yeah. You do know. Yeah, amazing. My anchor baby. We'll be president of Texas one day. <laughs> 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 yeah yeah there's something there there's something there's some uh, layers of the onion to peel back to get people comfortable with like hey you should like local governance smaller city states yeah or you could just force it to happen <laughs> that's the other way <laughs> how, how does that work it's not you just it's not it's not clean you just pull flow i mean it's starting with florida i mean it is starting the process has already started whether you want to realize it or not you look at what florida's done they've negged the federal government um, texas negged the federal government during covid you have this actually isn't like hitting the news too hard but um the northeastern section of oregon and the southwestern section of idaho like the counties uh, in that area are, are talking about like like, wow. like two there's two counties in Oregon that are talking about seceding from Oregon into Idaho. Wow, I didn't know that. And it's getting pretty close. Hmm. Um, they've got they've got guns up there. Yes, they do. It's important. Yeah, and like Idaho is like a perfect example of like a crazy conservative state where like if you bring like a, a gram of pot into into the state, you're going to jail. Like, uh, Ruby Ridge was in Idaho. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Where the uh, the federal government murdered a woman in holding her child. Yeah, Waco is not too far from here. 
No, it's about like two hours north, I think, or so, yeah. hour and a half. Yeah, more people were firebombed during that incident. That's, yeah, we don't want to end it on these negative notes, <laughs> but that's the other thing, too. Is, is it's always fascinated me that there's this weird, completely delusional romanticism of the federal government. Like, in my mind, it's has materially made people's lives worse off. Oh, yeah. And of people think it's their savior. Because they're safe, right? Yeah. Are they? Is it, they have an illusion of safety. Right, 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 right. They have a false sense of security. Yeah, um, yeah that's the weird thing. You talk to like, like, a, like, a, like a Federal Reserve maximalist, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're just not on the same page. Like you, it's, it's difficult to actually communicate with them because there's like zero points of commonality. You fundamentally look at the world differently and it's just tough to be able to get your ideas across. And, and even honestly to like really evaluate their ideas properly too. It's just you're so different. It's like, yeah, how could you look at Neil Kashkari and <laughs> like be like, yeah, I want this guy to lead me. How could you have a smile on your face when you look at that guy? <laughs> uh, Many big problems to solve, but I'm happy we're working on them. I'm happy you're working on them specifically. Yeah. I'm happy we're all working on these things. Yeah. Slowly, slowly making progress, I think. Uh, I think one thing's for sure. The, um, the Federal Reserve uh, worshiper doesn't have the drive that we have. No. Maybe they have strong beliefs, but... They don't have action following that belief to. Yeah, but it's very different when you have someone who's been uh, born in a position of power versus those who take power. And Bitcoin collectively is taking power. Yeah. Is it violence? No. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> we just had a big discussion about that on Monday. But. About the ASICs and. Yeah, like is Bitcoin yeah. violence? Is it war? Yeah, yeah. yeah. no. Why would no? Why would someone? Well, I don't know why somebody would want to do that, but uh, or, pr or promote that sort of narrative. But no, no, dude, it's 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 a better world. <laughs> I don't think anyone here is working on this stuff and is thinking, yeah, I can't wait to apply this violence to the world. No, we all think it's going to make a better world. Again, like and like I say, I think there's trade offs, there's caveats for sure. I, I I try and be the Debbie Downer in the room, and like be that wet blanket that pisses people off sometimes. Um, but we're making a better world. It's called adversarial thinking, and it's very necessary. Yeah. If you want that better world to materialize, you can't get complacent. You can't think rainbows and gumdrops. you got to think of how this thing can be attacked. Yeah, right. Um, exactly. Yeah. What would you encourage freaks to do that are listening to this conversation? Well, if they're listening, they're in the right place, and they're probably already doing what they're supposed to be doing. Um I'm not good at this myself, but tell the people close to you, build a little collective, you know, build your little, your little, uh, build your, build your citadel. It could be imagined for now. It'll, it'll, it'll become literal eventually. Yeah. It's just a loose, a loose gaggle of people who, who know what to do when yeah. the time's right. Yeah, exactly. Where can people find more about Haseki, what you guys are doing? Um, Hoseki, www.hoseki.app. That's our, that's our website. 
um, at Hoseki app on Twitter and I'm at Sam Abasi, two B's and two S's mm-hmm. on Twitter. Do you guys need, uh, need people testing out these products? Yeah, that would be great. Um, we're going to be releasing multi-sig support soon. So that's actually the immediate thing that we need is, uh, some people to test out our, our multi-sig flow. All right. Freaks. Let's go build a better future. We're going to win. We're going to end on an optimistic note. We're not going to yeah. talk about fire bombings or anything. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, this is a pleasure. Yeah, this is great. This is incredible. Thanks for having me. Ending the week on a high note. Friday vibes are high. Here in TFTC Studios in Austin, Texas, we're going to go enjoy our Friday evenings. Peace and love, freaks. Take care.